0: This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on IMPACT 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hello, and welcome to another edition of East Lansing Insider, brought to you by EastLansingInfo.news and IMPACT Radio 89FM. This is Alice Streger. I'm the Executive Director and Publisher of East Lansing Info. And I have with me today two people who are going to talk with us about policing in East Lansing. We have with us this morning Cedric Haro, who is Associate Professor of Sociology and Criminal Justice at Adrian College. Professor Haro has been working with the study committee on an independent police oversight commission for the city of East Lansing. That's the group that's been working to develop a plan for an oversight commission. And this week on June 13th, City Council formally passed the ordinance, essentially establishing the oversight commission. It has not been staffed yet. We do not yet have the names of the people who are going to serve on it. There's going to be a call for applications. But we know now that it will exist and it will be doing police oversight. And the second person with me today is Heather Brothers. Who is a reporter for East Lansing Info and who's been steadily reporting on the work of the study committee for us and then also reporting on other policing issues. So, welcome to you both today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, Cedric, one of the things we wanted to ask you about you've actually done substantial academic research on issues of policing. So, in terms of that, can you talk to us a little bit about? what East Lansing looks like as you look at East Lansing vis-a-vis sort of the work you've done uh, on a broader scope in terms of policing in America. What do you see in East Lansing that is still worthy of study and what's worthy of improvement?
1: Sure. Um, I think one thing that's really important to recognize is that we have 18,000 law enforcement agencies in this country and most of them are fairly small, uh, by which I mean fewer than a dozen officers. So The city of East Lansing has a department that's uh, of roughly medium size, um, and the city of Lansing actually falls in that category as well. And typically what we see in cities of this size, agencies of this size are a fairly low number of official complaints, and yet still fairly negative interactions or perceptions of the police department from certain communities particularly marginalized communities minorities lgbtq uh and others Um, and in that context then what we as a study committee saw from the city of east lansing was not particularly surprising in terms of you know, six, seven, eight complaints, the vast majority of which were not sustained or officers were exonerated. And yet still a public perception that we saw at the community input meeting, which was, you know I don't feel comfortable with the police. I feel harassed by the police. I feel like I don't really know what the police are doing. I feel like the police are there in terms of getting me into trouble rather than protecting me and helping me. And so I think going forward, one of the things that's important to recognize is that we may not see a drastic decrease in the number of complaints because we're already at a fairly low number. So we're really going to have to look at improvements in that community perception.
0: Gotcha. And related to that, um, I wanted to just ask you about the EPIC MRA study that we reported on because that was a study of policing perceptions. Can you tell us a little bit about what you thought about that study That was aimed at trying to understand, I mean, I think the goal was to try to understand white versus black perceptions of citizens in East Lansing in terms of police interactions.
1: Yeah, I I think I made pretty clear to city manager Lahanis on a few occasions that I wasn't particularly enthused um, in in terms of how that (laughs) survey was conducted. Uh, They did some things that I would not have done from a methodology, from a, you know, a good social science research perspective. And, you know, I think that's largely a function of the fact that they are a a polling company and they focus on political science and things like that, which is slightly different from the realm of social science. Um, And i just don't think that the survey was constructed in a way to get us the answers that we were actually looking for in terms of what is that difference of perceptions between the minority communities in east lansing versus uh the white community or, or non-minorities um some of the comparisons that were made effectively don't really tell us what that difference is it's you know this group feels this way and then this group take it together with the overall total Feels this way. And that's not really methodologically sound. Um, And I I think that's a function of the fact that they had a a great difficulty in getting minority respondents.
0: Got it. Thank you.
2: So, um, one of the things that the study committee talked about a lot was gathering this type of data um, and, you know, doing something with it, right? And what came up a lot was the question of how do you change? policing culture in general, and how can we affect, um, you know, or make recommendations to policies and procedures. And we know that you have participated on a lot of ride-alongs with the police, and so you are more familiar with the culture. And so if you could tell us a little bit about your perceptions of that, and if you have insights into the culture of ELPD itself.
1: Sure. Uh, I I will say that the last time I worked with ELPD directly, uh, Chief Weibert was in charge. So that that was quite some time ago. Um, But in in terms of the culture in general, I think one of the most telling uh, pieces of research that we have is that we consistently find that the average citizen is fairly confident that they understand what policing is about and the average police officer is very firmly convinced that the average citizen has no idea what policing is about. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, in, 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 to a huge extent, right? Like 90% of citizens literally think, I understand what the job is. And roughly that same number of cops think the average citizen has no idea what the job is like. Um, and, and I'll say that although the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, Um, It it is very clear that policing is an occupation that is so unique that it's very difficult to understand what the day-to-day job is like, right? And so uh, if I could give you one example um, from some of my work in St. Petersburg, one of the the first ride-alongs I ever did, somebody had called the police uh, and the officer that I was riding with responded. And when we got there, the person who called the police cursed at the officer and spit at him. And I was blown away. I couldn't figure out why somebody would call the police. And then bef- as soon as they got there, before they even started to get any information about why the call had been made, this person was al- already immediately upset with the police. right? Um, and, and it turned out that was on the basis of you know, some things that had happened in the city in general and some experiences that this individual had had prior. Um, but it, it is an incredibly difficult occupation because you essentially meet people on the worst day of their lives that said, we also imbue policing with an enormous res- amount of responsibility. When cities started getting bigger and we said, you know, vigilante justice isn't going to cut it. We need professional policing. We made this deal. You keep us safe. And in order to do so, we give you an enormous amount of power. And, and with great power comes great responsibility, to borrow a phrase, um, right? I mean, police officers have the ultimate authority to essentially nullify your Fourth Amendment rights by Removing your freedom or your life. And I think the cynicism of the job, that culture that nobody else understands what the job is like other than other police officers, and I I deal with so many people under such horrible circumstances, really clouds what police officer behavior essentially becomes. Right.
0: And it must really contribute to that sort of us versus them mentality inadvertently.
1: Absolutely. Right. We, we tell police officers, you're fighting a war on drugs, you're fighting a war on crime. We, as we've seen over the last 20 years, continue to militarize them. Right. E- even going so far as to have the Department of Defense uh, sell them equipment essentially at cost or even lower than that. And, and when you tell somebody that they're an army fighting a war, they they require an enemy. And it turns out that the average citizen is the enemy because the average citizen potentially can kill me. The average citizen is potentially guilty of any number of different crimes that I have no idea about.
2: So in your, you know, from your viewpoint is what can be done to kind of bridge this gap? Or have you seen, I know you've done research kind of across the country. Have you seen things that have worked to kind of bridge the gap between the perceptions of the police and the perceptions of the people?
1: so there are really a few things that i think are interrelated right we we've done a lot of research on what community policing looks like and community policing is something that we've been talking about since the 70s but policing as an occupation has gone through a couple of different phases right when when we started talking about community policing and uh dr bob trejan from michigan state went down to flint and established the foot patrol Uh, project. We saw a great deal of success there. But as crime changed, then the idea amongst police agencies was, we can't do this anymore because crime is getting worse, right? And it wasn't that it was necessarily community policing is not effective. And so that's why crime is getting worse. It's that if crime is getting worse, and we're seeing much more violent crime and, and more drugs and things like that, the assumption was we couldn't have this kinder, gentler form of policing. And then after September 11th, obviously everything changed, right? Now you have departments the size of uh, 30 officers who are asking the DOD for mine resistant ambush protected vehicles for crowd control, which is is fundamentally ridiculous, right? It's completely unnecessary. So when we talk about community policing, which is actually what I was studying in St. Petersburg during my research, we see a number of ways in which it can work, but it, it, It requires investment and good faith efforts from both the community and the entire police organization itself.
0: And I think maybe it can be particularly complicated in places like East Lansing where the population just turns over, shrinks and swells over and over and over again.
1: Sure. Right. I mean, one of the that works both ways. right? One one of the, the biggest things that we can do in community policing is to keep officers in their same shift and beat assignment so that they get to know the people in that area over time but as you note if the population living in that area is turning over that's not an effective strategy one of the biggest obstacles that we face is that you know if you signed up to be a police officer anytime in the last 21 years now which really makes me feel old uh you, you know you you signed up in this era of militarization you signed up under this assumption that you know policing is is about you know, kicking ass and taking names for for lack of a better uh, term. And th- there's still that attitude that this is a job that at any moment might require violence. The vast majority of the time, it doesn't, but it might.
0: Chief Johnson is actually, the current chief of police, Kim Johnson, who's been with us, I think almost a year now, uh, came in after Chief Larry Sparks suddenly retired on a Sunday and retired on the same day East Lansing Info reported that an officer whose actions were under question as use of excessive force on black men had actually had a history uh, in which he was involved in five of the last 12 formal complaints and all of them from men of color and the police chief suddenly resigned, uh, retired, sorry, not, did not resign. But we've gone through a lot of officers and Johnson dates back, not as a chief, but he dates back as having been an officer at a time he recalls doing a lot of active community policing. But you mentioned working with Chief Weibert. Since Chief Weibert, we've had Chief Julie Liebler, Chief Jeff Murphy, Chief Larry Sparks and now Chief Johnson. We've gone through a lot of police chiefs and I wonder what you think about that in terms of whether or not that makes a department more open to change or whether that means that you've got a department that's had so much turmoil that it could be challenging to develop a positive culture.
1: Since we're talking over... (laughs) Well, at the very least between uh, Weibert and and Liebler, you know, we're talking about a significant portion of time. Um, That that turnover is not particularly unusual. It's fairly common for police departments to have officers work their way up and then feel stagnant and then make a lateral transfer as deputy chief or chief to somewhere else and then try to come back to their department as chief, um, which is, you know, what uh, Kim Johnson has done. I think the, the biggest issue that we might have, or, or an issue is not the right word, I think what I take most from Chief Johnson's return is that because his time periods were uh, covered that entire span, um, he, he's really capable of seeing what the full history of East Lansing has been like from his standpoint as an officer. And uh, I'm, I'm fairly optimistic about his desire for reform. Right now, desire is one thing, and the capability of doing something is different. Um, but I think he and Deputy Chief Gonzalez, um, you know, have said the right things and appear to be moving in the right direction.
0: Makes sense.
2: So one of the things that came up at the July 13th uh, council meeting, where they approved the creation of the oversight commission, was this kind of continued discussion of reform, and they. Uh, passed, agreed on a contract with uh, CNA, who is going to come in for a year period to do um, data analysis and to gather research about policing in East Lansing. And there were some people from the community and some council members who were a little hesitant for this contract to start before the Oversight Commission itself is even seated. And I was wondering um, if you think that this type of data gathering Um, the chief and the deputy chief mentioned that it would be used for as a management tool and something that they could use to make changes. Uh, If you think that this is something you've seen that does make impactful change, or if you have any other kind of insights into it,
1: so i i took the opportunity to read through the entire cna contract um and it's from a social science standpoint it's precisely the type of thing that we would like to do obviously there are always limitations right you can't even over the course of the year gather all of the data that you would like um but dr wolf from msu is is, you know a, a renowned researcher in the area and i am fairly confident in his abilities um i don't know him personally but i uh, I got my PhD from MSU, so we have a lot of colleagues in common. And, you know, this is the type of work that he excels at. Uh, I will note that toward the beginning of the study committee, uh, Deputy Chief Gonzalez and Chief Johnson had mentioned that one of their captains, uh, and I can't remember the name, was looking to do some of this type of data collection and so i'm not sure what the relationship between those two areas is but my sense is that they they quickly realized that they needed something outside um, someone with skills perhaps above and beyond an active practicing law enforcement officer and so i think again that's a step in in a positive direction now the the contract itself In terms of what data they are going to collect, is written in a way that I think they will touch on a lot of the things that the uh, Oversight Commission will uh, have under its purview. And ideally, um, I mean, clearly the Oversight Commission is, is a or should be considered a stakeholder in this process. And so ideally the oversight commission would work in tandem with CNA or, or at least be, you know, receiving data in parallel or shortly thereafter. Now I know the contract calls for the work to start in, in two weeks and obviously the oversight commission is not going to be seated by then. Um, but given that the first month, maybe month and a half of the contract is probably probably, uh, more of a data collection phase um, I don't think it's that problematic I, I think the oversight commission whenever it gets seated presumably hopefully September uh, at the latest can can jump right in with both feet, taking a look at what we as the study committee did and what the contract calls for and begin to work fairly closely with cna
2: well at council last night they did agree to pass the contract um, with a caveat that uh, language would be added that the oversight commission would be receiving regular updates from CNA on the, their process. Okay. So
1: that's good to know. And that's, I mean, one of the things that we had discussed as the study committee was this process of transparency, right? What happens when somebody wants data from the police department or from the city? And how is that different when it is the oversight commission who wants data from the police department or from the city? And sort of what mechanism is in place to make sure that 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 is handled as transparently as possible, as quickly as possible. Um, So that's obviously preferable.
0: I definitely want to talk more about transparency in a minute, but I just want to note for our listeners that- Data obtained and analyzed by members of the study committee, particularly um, including by Chris Root, who has in the past reported for Eli, but stopped reporting for us as she became a member of the study committee, that data that became available to us showed quite disproportional stops in terms of stops of African Americans versus whites in officer initiated stops. It also showed a racial um, bias in terms of arrests, and it showed a very strong racial bias in terms of use of force. So it'll be interesting to see when CNA gets that data, whether or not they come up with any different conclusions in terms of what's going on there, whether or not they perceive a disproportionate um, bias happening there. And I know that's written into the contract, but some of it's going to be limited by what kind of data they can get out of ELPD. In other words, what kind of data has already been collected? And we struggled mightily trying to get more data It's been very difficult. And the data, for example, on use of force doesn't make a lot of sense to us because when we look at the weekly police reports and then we compare them to aggregate data on use of force, they don't match. And it could be the case that you would think that the weekly police reports just don't catch use of force notations quickly enough to make it into the weekly report. But I've talked to Deputy Chief Gonzalez over and over again about improvements that have been made in the last year in the weekly reporting where you're supposed to see that use of forest data get into the weekly report in a timely fashion. So we can't account for the ways that the use of forest data simply doesn't match up. It's been a real struggle for us.
1: Yes, I'd like to note that what Chris Root did was she did a fantastic job in um, both getting that data and then analyzing it. Um, her work was just amazing in, in that chapter of the study committee's report. Uh, one of the things that she came up with or, or that she encountered was this exact problem that you're noting, which is that uh, data is messy. Right. And I think part of that is due to the fragmentation of law enforcement in this country. Right. There, There is no national use of force data collection instrument. There, there has been one implemented recently. It is like all crime reporting, still voluntary on the part of agencies. There are there's no carrot and stick approach, Um, and and that means agencies can report one month's worth of data if they want. They can report data on some types of incidents and not others, and and the data is just very messy. We in the state of Michigan um, also report to something called the Michigan Incident Crime Reports, and various departments might use different systems, some of which fit in very neatly in the micro-reporting, some of which don't. And so one of the things that uh, cropped up as we kept talking to Deputy Chief Gonzalez about data is there were moments where we, we asked, can the system do this? And the response was, you know, we're not sure. And and that's a, a big fundamental issue is that we're not even sure what data we have and what we can do with it.
0: I guess related to that, I have a question for you about, you know, so so data gives you an aggregate look at things. One of the issues that the study committee for an oversight commission considered was the issue of an early warning system where you would be able to spot trends in individual officers' behaviors. So that seems like another important component of this work, that looking at the data in the aggregate doesn't actually tell you if there are specific officers that are engaged in specific practices that are problematic.
1: Sure. I mean, aggregate data in any context can can hide specific um, problems or success stories, right? When crime went up in the United States in 2015 and 2016, everybody panicked and it turned out violent crime went up in, in 25 to 30 cities and everywhere else it went down, right? Um, and so the same thing is true here. And the, the benefit of an early warning system is that first of all, it is designed to, upon the immediate instance, be sort of informally corrective but it is also very good at capturing not just particular officer behaviors, right? Like how many complaints were filed against this officer, how many times has this officer noted that they had to draw their weapon, but other things that might indicate that an officer is having difficulties, like an unusual amount of sick days taken or any number of other things, right? So it, it's a, a fairly holistic environment. And the use of an early warning system is one of the uh, most widely discussed reforms in terms of its effectiveness.
2: I wanted to ask, so based on uh, your experience with the study committee and your experience through your career and, you know, knowing kind of what's coming for East Lansing here, um, do you feel that the oversight commission is going to be adequately empowered to do, to participate in these recommendations and
1: reforms? so i think it's pretty clear that the biggest complaint that people have or the the biggest criticism that people have of the oversight commission is that it does not have subpoena power and i i understand that complaint that's this discussion about the ideal versus the reality of the system right um in almost no instances Does an oversight commission have full subpoena power, largely because they are stifled by employment law and police unions and things like that? Uh, Most recently, the city of Albany, New York, sort of revised their oversight commission because although it was very well developed um, in its initial formation, they found that not having any type of subpoena power was incredibly limiting. And so the commission went back to the city council to ask them to pass an ordinance and the first thing that happened is that the police union filed a lawsuit, right? Um, so, so that's, that's unfortunately a, a huge obstacle in terms of what those expectations are. But again, for our purposes, I think we get so few complaints um, and, and you know we may see complaints rise as people feel more comfortable filing a complaint. That I I think the lack of subpoena power is not going to be as much of a hindrance, particularly because one of the things that we as a study committee wanted to do that made it into the ordinance was the fact that the study, that the oversight commission, excuse me, can essentially ask the city council to conduct an independent investigation, by which we mean hiring an outside investigator specializing in police accountability. In the end, that still only results in a recommendation that gets made to the chief of police and perhaps eventually to the city manager. Uh, But that's really the best we can do under the circumstances.
0: It also creates a challenge because what we've seen over and over again is a Council that is hesitant to be seen as criticizing city staff, including the police department. So, in some ways, having the Oversight Commission have a, an ability to order an independent investigation, the idea behind that was to take the pressure off of city council and allow an independent group of citizens to make that decision. But that's not the direction it's gone on. It it does fall to council. And what we've seen is over the years, it's been really challenging for council to bring itself to the point of ordering an investigation of something that looks suspicious
2: well we saw at the July 13th meeting too uh council's hesitancy to kind of wait on the cna contract um because of this perception that uh we the citizens have been just telling the police what they've been doing wrong for a couple of years now instead of giving them direction right
0: Right. So the idea was we should go ahead and get this done now rather than waiting because it would be a way to support the police in the reform attempts. I
1: think that's an important point, you know, and I, and I credit Mayor Stevens for the work that he has been doing on on this for a long time. And I, I think there was a point that city council hit where it was, you know, we need to do something. And I understand this isn't the ideal and we'd prefer to wait for some other things to happen you know, I mean, ideally, we would have finished our efforts before the city council started, before the city started renegotiating the new contract with uh, the Police Officers Association of Michigan. Mm-hmm. But you know, some of these things just weren't possible given those time constraints.
0: As it is, I think the oversight commission, uh, the over- the study committee for the oversight commission, did an enormous amount of work in a really short time. I mean, it's very impressive the amount of research and the amount of solid recommendations that came out of that group. I think. When you look at it. So I just want to mention before we um, wrap up that East Lansing Info has a lawsuit against the East Lansing Police Department with regard to the Freedom of Information Act, because we attempted to get seven weeks worth of use of force data and were charged an extraordinary amount of money, about fifty four hundred dollars. And so we're currently um, in the early process of that. We have not before filed that kind of suit, but it's been increasingly challenging to us to get information. And that may be in part because we've ramped up our reporting in response to citizen interest in questions of things like policing to try to get more information. But it's become increasingly difficult. So we just have a few minutes left, or actually a few seconds left. Cedric, I wanted to thank you so much for being with us today. I think your work on the study committee was really important and it's a real great joy to us to be able to speak with you about that for our listeners.
1: Thank you, it was my pleasure being here.
0: And Heather, I also wanted to thank you for your very steady reporting on this work. You've gone to so many meetings and made sense of really long, complicated meetings for our listeners and readers so that they are able to get a sense of what happened at the meetings. If you're listening and you want to learn more, go to eastlansinginfo.news. The search bar allows you to search for whatever you are interested in. Thanks so much. East Lansing Insider is brought to you by ELI on Impact 89 FM. We are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening.